I came across a great freeform haiku back when the COVID-19 crisis began. I don't know who wrote it, though I have my suspicions. It's really quite simple. The sound of Finch's wings, delicious as blackberry jam. I didn't think much of it when I saw it. It was tucked away on a webpage uh, for registering for online meetings, of all things. But there it was, and it's stuck with me since, and I can't seem to get it out of my head. It's persistent in how it arrives in my life and the moments it chooses. And I realize I almost speak of the haiku as if it had a life of its own. Well, it does. Not in a mystical way, but in the way any great poetry or music or experience does. It shows up unbidden, and in this case it's become a very dear friend to me. It has a beautiful simplicity to it. Two sensory experiences joined together. Two things that you normally wouldn't join together. The sound of finches' wings, delicious as blackberry jam. I don't know about you, but I've never approached the sound of birds flapping through the air in such a way. But the blackberry jam, I get stuck on that too. And stuck isn't the right word. Any good freeform haiku, a haiku that throws the traditional syllable format to the wind, but it still has what's called the cutting word or the cutting image. The word or sound or image or reference that slices through everything we think we know about life and awakens us to the present moment. This past weekend, I found myself sitting in our sunroom one morning and the starlings were feasting gloriously and happily and mightily on the sugar maples, diving into the yard to devour worms and grubs after the rainfall. And on most days, it's a wonderful experience. But resting on my lap was one of those massive blackberry jam-filled donuts from North Lyme. The haiku couldn't get more on the nose than that. The sound of starlings rejoicing, delicious as a blackberry jam-filled donut. There it was, obvious as anything. The sensory brightness of starlings mimicking blue jays, delighting in wet grass and safe harbor in the trees, and the sweetness of jam, the patter of rain, the smell of dust. It's easy to ground ourselves when things line up like that. When the world calls for only one thing only, for sweetness, for transcendence, for those radiant moments. And yet it's hard not to be pulled away uh, by what is not radiant. Here it is, the year 2020. Many of us wondered if it would be the Roaring Twenties again, but, well, it isn't quite the roar many of us hoped for. Our politics are as divided as ever. The people protesting in state capitals, many of them proudly and foolishly waving swastikas and Confederate flags, carrying assault rifles. It is really hard not to see them as my enemy. It's hard not to wonder how anyone could be shoulder to sh shoulder with such hate-filled images. And yet there they are. On top of that, we have a worldwide pandemic unlike anything we've seen in our lifetimes, and it's still unfolding. A second wave looms. Our own federal government has failed miserably in managing it. And there are parts of the world whose suffering is just beginning and whose suffering will be far greater than our own. And as if that wasn't enough in 2020 so far, Major League Baseball is on life support. We're all exhausted from Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting. And now there's murder hornets.
murder hornets. The 20s are roaring already. If you're struggling to stay centered and to find hope, to enjoy life while you're not alone, if you turn on the television, whether it's 5 o'clock with Governor Bashir or MSNBC, it's bad news upon bad news. Sure, Kentucky is doing pretty awesome uh, in handling COVID-19. We're well known in the nation for something good this time. But intellectually, we all know this is far from over. Emotionally, however, we might not know that yet. For me, the emotional gut punch finally came this week. I can now say that I'm starting to fully absorb this. I understood it, but I compartmentalized it and got very good at ignoring it to the detriment of my health and my well-being. Every time I thought I was having a good day, the next would see the weight of it all creeping out of the box and pushing down on me. Now, I have no shame in admitting this. The world is undergoing sustained trauma. How could you not be affected in some way? And I realize there's a lot of mourning that I haven't processed. And I share this with all of you because I know many of you are undergoing similar experiences of what's now being called COVID depression. And it's okay. As long as you acknowledge that, it's okay. We are all working through this together as our lives continue to have uncertainty. But this week, a letter came out from the president of the Unitarian Universalist Association, the Reverend Dr. Susan Frederick Gray. Now, she's not my boss, nor is she the Unitarian Pope, but she is the voice of our association, the spiritual guide for this covenantal and yet independent organization we are a part of. She tends to the bonds of our relationships with other Unitarian Universalists. And so she released a letter, and in this letter, I found clear, sobering guidelines from our association for what we might expect in the months to come. It was, it was as if a dam broke open, and suddenly, the compartmentalizing started to fall away. The mourning began to happen. But also, a return to centering in that moment was possible. Now, the guidelines that she presented are uh, what we kind of knew all along. Returning to how church life was before COVID-19 will not be possible for some time. And there are some things that will never return. Some of those things we don't know yet. But there was also at once the heartbreak and the relief of this recommendation. This is the hardest part of this. And the recommendation is that we begin planning to hold virtual services through May of 2021. Yeah, May of 2021. The language is clear. Now this isn't a mandate, it says begin planning. Essentially, have a plan because we just might need it. Now, we don't know what the future holds for an effective treatment or a potential vaccine. And I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm a minister. And even our medical professionals in the congregation will point out that about themselves, too. They're not epidemiologists either. So I'm open to surprise. I'm open to a discovery in the scientific community, not a discovery and recommendation from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but a discovery from the scientific community that means we can be together sooner and faster. But for now, our waiting will continue. It's hard to savor the sound of Finch's wings with such news. And so I shared just a glimpse of my own struggles with you because I know we need regular reminders, 
both that our clergy and Unitarian Universalism are completely human. There are no magical powers here. I wish there were, but no, there's none. Not even water into wine. Nothing. But we also need reminders that our stewarding of our mental health is an intentional practice. The month of May, of course, is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. And many of us know the statistics. One in four Americans experience some type of anxiety condition. Uh, some journals think it's far higher than that. And the consensus, this is really hard, the consensus is that both during and after COVID-19, we will see a rampant mental health and addiction crisis worldwide. Now, some of you have shared your struggles with me. Some of you have shared how the world we are in now is certainly not helping with what you were already struggling to treat and process in your own life. And for others, this forced stopping has pushed you to confront things you weren't ready to confront. With all of that, here are the reminders that I have for myself, for my own struggles during this. Now, I've been confronting my tendency to overwork. Some of you have noticed that about me. To always be the best, to be perfect, to fight constantly, to get ahead. Those are parts of my personality I have to grapple with. To have that all taken away means I must confront those tendencies. So here's what I work on to practice, uh, taken from the scientific journal Nature. First, I manage my expectations of myself and others. There is an urge for us to fill our time with something, anything. We must be productive, yet being busier during a crisis is not healthy. Second, I proactively manage my stress threshold. It's easier said than done, right? I'm working on getting better sleep, eating healthier. My daily run is absolutely sacred to me. Nothing can interrupt that on the calendar. I take time to study Mandarin and play the guitar poorly or reread Harry Potter for the umpteenth time. Go Slytherin! I've added into my daily routine the self-care I should have had before the pandemic. And it's something I must remember to do. And third, I'm becoming best friends uh, with my red flags. Our emotions can rise up suddenly and bizarrely. Why are we angry and frustrated about something that is otherwise a daily and normal occurrence? Why do we have such hateful thoughts toward the machine gun-holding protesters, the president? How do our bodies and minds feel when we're crashing? Do we remember to take a breath to mentally note how we are feeling, why, and when? It's an important question. Fourth. Routine is my friend. Now, I've addressed this a bit, but we need simple routines to note the difference between work time and non-work time. Time for nothing and time for something. What are you doing that is not virus or work-related in your life? Fifth, cultivating compassion for myself and for others. And this is really hard, especially for people not following guidelines to reduce the spread of COVID-19. It is hard to have compassion, especially for our federal government. It is hard to have compassion and especially for myself when I react poorly. And so the task for us is to begin and end each day with a compassionate review of our lives. Forgive yourself for your faults. Celebrate what went well, even if it was simple and start right there. 
Sixth, maintaining connections. Do we really need another Zoom meeting? Absolutely not. But maybe it's playing an online game with family or friends, phone calls, text messages, and yes, maybe even writing a letter and practicing your penmanship. Reach out to someone you haven't heard from lately. We are social creatures, no matter how introverted we think we are. Seven, stay in the present moment. The sound of Finch's wings, delicious as blackberry jam. This is a stressful and unprecedented time in history. Do you meditate? No? Maybe you should just give it a little try. Just sit and breathe. Take notice of your thoughts and feelings, but you know, don't really grab hold of them. And if you do that, you're off to a great start. Are you panicking about tomorrow or May of 2021? Well, yeah, how couldn't you? I do, but we only have now. And so center yourself right here. Now you've no doubt heard these seven suggestions in some way, shape, or form. They can be so underwhelming to hear. I know when I hear them, sometimes it's eight points, sometimes it's seven, sometimes it's two. Um, I know I wait for that magic bullet to appear among them. The one thing that will fix it all for me. But our mental health these simple steps for self-care are an intentional practice. Americans and really many Westerners might want a miracle, an instantaneous fix. We are definitely a people of instant gratification, but self-care doesn't work that way. The soil must be tilled, the seeds planted, and the field tended to before there is ever growth, before there is ever a harvest. And so we are on this journey together. Take a moment right now to notice something. Is it the sound of starlings outside, a car driving by your home, or is it just your own breathing? The sensation of sitting wherever you are. Isn't it just right, just so? Isn't it everything you need right now? And so may you cultivate a practice of self-care, of tending to your heart, and mind during these times. Blessed be. Amen.